Hi, my name is Hortense Legentil. I am an author and an executive leadership coach. I'm working with CEOs and senior executives on their journey from hero leader to human leader. And you are listening to the Emotional Inclusion Podcast. 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 Hi, and welcome back to the Emotional Inclusion Podcast. My name is Molly Jean Dedieu, and I'm the founder of Emotional Inclusion in the Workforce. We call on companies to bring mental health at the centerfold of their business agendas in a medicalized, confidential, and sustainable way. While emotional intelligence is all about the knowing of how to navigate our emotions and the emotions of the people we interact with, emotional inclusion is all about the doing. The doing of providing tailored mental health care to each company while respecting their organizational DNA. This podcast is aimed to open up the conversation with global leaders, movers and shakers who are advocates for emotional inclusion and mental health in the workforce. And before we begin, I would like to shout out that I have a brand new book on emotional inclusion coming out with Penguin Random House in September, 2023. Now, if you like my podcast, I really think that you're going to enjoy this book. It discusses emotional inclusion's organizational definition, shares real life stories on the subject, and offers steps that companies can and should take to create more emotionally inclusive workplaces to have a transformative impact on employees' emotional wellness and productivity. It will be available as a paperback and found on all the usual websites such as Amazon, the Book Depository, Barnes and Nobles, etc., as well as directly on my website at emotionalinclusion.com. And for now, thank you for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the conversation today. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Emotional Inclusion Podcast. I have the immense pleasure to welcome today Hortense Legentil. Hortense is a global executive leadership coach and the author of the widely applauded book, Aligned, Connecting Your True Self with the Leader You're Meant to Be. She works with CEOs and other senior executives around the world to help them lead with authenticity and close the gap between the leader they are and the leader they want to be. Hortense's executive coaching is informed by her 30 years in business working across a number of industries, including media consultancy, advertising, and entrepreneurship. She has been working on and delivering executive leadership programs at various Fortune 500 companies and for CEO perspective. She's ranked number five on the Global Gurus list by World Management Global Gurus and was a 2021 nominee of the Thinkers 50 Coaching and Mentoring Awards. She is a contributor to Harvard Business Review and ThriveGlobal.com. Her leadership has been featured in Forbes, Fast Company Inc., and Business Insider. So Hortense, a warm welcome to the Emotional Inclusion Podcast. How are you? So thank you. Uh, thank you, Willie, for having me. I am delighted to be here and uh, ready to talk about anything you want. Lovely. And so am I. So look, let's perhaps deep dive. So as people will find out, you are French and you have been an executive coach to CEOs for many years. 
in France until one day you met Marshall Goldsmith. And so how did he shape the course of your career? And perhaps otherwise put, how did he inspire you? It's a long story. So Marshall, I knew Marshall from his work for a long time. So it was very inspiring by his, of course, his life, his books, his philosophy. So one day I met him because he invited me uh, to come to New York and to be part of the MG100. So it was at the beginning of the cohort. And it was the first time I met him in person. So I was very impressed. And I think from there, he gave me, you know, a lot of energy. And I just realized, no, I didn't realize because I knew that. But in fact, the gap between being in France as a coach and being here in US as a coach. And really in France, we don't talk. When you are a coach, you are more, you know, on the backstage. And this is all right, you know, but this is a question of culture, completely different, as you know. And so you don't talk. I didn't, at that time, I didn't even have a website, in fact, because I was very confidential and I had all my clients came from uh, here to Mars. And so I was very happy like that. But I met Marshall and Marshall told me, you know, you have to show up because mm. you have to write a book to show up to talk because the world needs you. And nobody mm. knows what you're doing, except you, of course, your coaches, but it's not enough. You have to do more. And I said, okay, <laughs> as you can imagine, yeah. as a French person, say, okay, where to begin? <laughs> and this is how, you know, came up also, you know, the first idea of the book and everything. And it really pushed me and inspired me to talk and to open up. And it's such a stamp of approval of that which you're doing, because Obviously, Marshall Goldsmith is not just anybody. I think maybe for those in our audience who don't know Marshall Goldsmith, he's the only two-time winner of the Thinkers 50 Award or number one leadership thinker in the world. He's been ranked as the number one executive coach in the world. He's, I think, written or edited some 36 books as well. So he's a well-seasoned coach who's also seen the value in that which you do. So I'd like to zoom in a little bit on exactly that. So I love the quote that John Maxwell once said, and he said, a leader is one that knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. But for this, I might also add that a leader still needs to have their own inner compass first. And I know that you see the value in that as well, in that you actually wrote a whole book around it. And so in your first book, Aligned, Connecting Your True Self with the Leader You're Meant to Be, you talk about true alignment and how we can unlock our true self within the realm of leadership, knowing that, of course, we're all leaders in our own right. So could you give us some real life examples that show us how to connect with who we truly are in order to lead with purpose? Maybe I will begin at the beginning. So trying to explain what I mean by aligned, because aligned is really being in that zone where 
you know that the right time, right moment, you are the right person at the right time, right moment, and everything makes sense. It's exactly like the, I don't know if you surf or not. I don't, but I like mm -hmm. this picture of the surfer catching the perfect wave and you're here, you feel well, you feel exactly where you should be and, and you're happy, you have energy and everything. So this is what I call being aligned. It's really this sensation of being in the zone. And when you are here, in fact, everything open up, it's changed. And it's absolutely the reverse of fighting always with yourself first and with your environment. And if you feel in this space, if you feel that you're doing that in your life, in your life now, it's because you are not aligned. So what that means and how you can get aligned again is to take the time to reflect and to think about what is important for you, what drives you, what gives you energy, how you want to be remembered as a leader. Molly, I love what you said before, and I agree when as a person, we are absolutely all leaders because at least you are leader of your life. You should. So there are things you can change, other you cannot, but at least you can change the view and how you show up in your life and what you do with your life. So I think take the time to think if what you're doing today, where you are, your environment gives you energy connected with your why, with your purpose, makes sense for you or not. And if the answer is not, it's because you are disaligned. I can only assume, though, Hortense, you wrote this book because in your many years of coaching, you realized that there was a void within that specific arena. I mean, you've been a coach to CEOs for a long time. And so I presume that you saw that there was that disalignment with leaders, that they were going about their days effectively doing that which they were supposed to do, which is to quote unquote lead, but yet not really knowing who they were in the process and what kind of legacy they wanted to leave behind. Would that be correct to say? This is correct to say. There's so many things here. So let me try to pick one or two. <laughs> so the first thing is the role of the leaders change. So we moved from you know, the world and we move from being a hero leader to being a human leader. And how you do that is by connecting with, you know, by yourself. It's not the question, your question right now, but I just want to explain that now. I know we will talk maybe more about it later. But what I saw at a lot of point is, for example, I have one of my CEOs, one of my coaches, CEO, he was running everywhere, running everywhere, working so hard like a lot of them are doing, of course. Mm -hmm. But one day he felt completely disappointed and sad. And he told me, I am exhausted. I am exhausted and I don't understand because I feel like, you know, I'm disconnected from my team. They don't understand me. So I try to tell things and, you know, they don't understand. No follow up. What do I do wrong? What do I do wrong? And I told him, where are you running? Where are you running? What do you mean? And so we work on that. And the reason why he was running everywhere was not a good reason. 
he thought that he had to do and to be everywhere and to, you know, fix everything. And so you can imagine coming in a, in a meeting and in um, 10 minutes, he was saying, well, let's do that, that, that. He didn't explain why and whatever. So, of course, you know, the team was there listening mm -hmm. to him. But when you don't know why you should do that or that or that or you receive orders, not sure that you like it, right? And so this is how he understood that it was completely designed. So we work on it and said, okay, so let's take a moment. Let's reflect what is important for you. Why are you running everywhere? So we work on that. He found the reason why. And he had to, like a lot of us, he had to relearn everything because we were told to do that, that, you know, there are very successful, so they know how to do that way, but they don't know how to do another way. And the other way was stop to connect with him, to know each of at least, you know, his the direct report and ask questions, listen, you know, learn how to listen, learn to ask questions, learn to be here. And this is the most important. And of course, it makes the difference because if your team feels secure, heard, important, and they know why they work and why they are here, they're different. Yeah, I love what you're saying. And it's true. Leaders have a tendency of getting caught up in that rat race of to-dos because we uh, are continuously running against the clock in a way uh, and having to drive our KPIs. And sometimes we forget that the value of our business and the productivity that we will generate is driven through our people and stopping, as you were saying, stopping to listen to them, to truly understand their perspectives is so important. And also for the leader, again, to your point, to understand where are they running? Because I think, you know, if we were to just park there, that's such a good question to ask where are they running and to what finality are they trying to reach in the process? And I think we ought to all ask ourselves that question. It's a really good one. And can you share why he was running everywhere and what was his answer and how did he exactly sort of turn the curve? In his case, because mm -hmm. each case is different, but in this case, he was really running because he was thinking really that it was the only way to do things. The way he was educated, so go fast, decide fast, and go to the next one, and never stop. Stop for him was like, I don't know, dying, or was like losing his time. And so we talk about that and walk with that and said, okay, but it's not losing your time, it's gaining. You are going to gain time, in fact. And he really discovered that he really didn't know because he was first graduated for a very good school, very high school. It has been always successful everywhere. And so nobody told him anything and nobody had anything to say about that except his family. But the family, you know, had nothing to say about it. He was known for that, for being everywhere, for going fast and things like that. So it was really because he didn't know that there were another way to go. He really thought that it was the best way to go. And so when you think that, then you don't have anything to make you double think or rethink. Why should we change? This is where he was. 
Yeah, I think there's so much value, as you say, to just stop a moment, take a breath and understand how it is that we're leading. I want to jump to your second book that you're launching in September, which is so exciting. And you speak notably about the neuropsychology of how one gets past their limitations as a leader. I'd love it if you could please contextualize it a little bit further in using perhaps one or two real life examples that you portray in your book. Would that be all right? Okay. So my next book is going to be the title is The uh, Unlocked Leader. It's Dare to Free Your Own Voice, Lead with Empathy, and Shine Your Light in the World. So the subject is obvious, and it's how you unlock yourself. So how really you move from this, what we call the hero leader. So I mean, this leader who think that he has to have all the answers, and speak first, doesn't listen, and truly think that you just have to fix things because he's used to do it, the education just that. So yeah, and here we are. And he was successful like that and he don't know because they are mm-hmm. all, you know, very smart. So they know that they are in a transitioning world and you're transitioning your leadership. Of course you adapt mm-hmm. yourself, but where to begin? Where to begin? And this book is about that, but it's a guide of you're aware of it. So when you're aware of it, you have to face your fears because we are afraid. Mm-hmm. We used to do that way again. And, you know, we don't know how to do differently. So this is scary. Of course, this is scary. So be honest, of course. So, you know, taking into account that fears and find your mind traps. So where are you back? Yeah, there's so much to unpack right there as well. And I think especially in the backdrop of COVID and the world just really as a consequence evolving, if anything, the silver lining has been that we have gained the awareness that breathing more humanity within our workplace is direly needed. And that's, of course, shifted how leaders themselves lead as a consequence. And you touch upon the importance of facing one's fears, because as leaders, it's often silently understood that we have it all together, that we are versed with whatever comes our way, that this is, as I like to say, the school of life for everybody. And we all have to face our valleys and peaks and there is no guidebook of how to do that. So learning to be vulnerable, learning to, for men, perhaps shedding away their stoicism, for women, perhaps also shedding the fact that being emotional and showing one's emotion equates to weakness or unprofessionalism is perhaps a way of doing that. Your book is not out yet, so I haven't read it, so I can't really speak further to it in terms of asking you questions, but there are so many fears. And again, just to press upon that, that is no manual as to how to tackle them in the workplace. Could you give us an example or two of leaders whom you have perhaps worked with in and around the subject matter of how they can tackle their fears within the workplace? Yeah. So just to explain maybe a little more, the book is not only about, you know, the fears, because 
this is just the introduction. It's about the fears is, you know, what we have to face. The book is a guide to uh, find your mind traps. Okay, so you can imagine you are trapped somewhere. If we stay with this example, for example, of this person, uh, the CEO I was talking about, he was there and say, okay, I have to change, but I don't know how to do that. And so he was there and he understood at one point, of course, like everyone, he had, you know, to face mental health in his team. And he told me, Hortense, I don't know how to do that. I cannot fix it. And so here, you know, the mind traps, the traps was first, the fears was the fears of chaos, the fears of, you know, failing. I don't know how to do that. And also he was told all his life that he didn't have to show emotion. Emotion didn't belong to the corporate arena, he told me. Oh, let's talk about it. Yes, of course, we are talking about people who are between 40 and 60, 70, 75. So, of course, it's a life, it's a long life. And so he was trapped here because he was trapped in the fact that, you know, someone told him one day, teacher, uh, education, never show any emotion at the office. It doesn't belong to this arena, like you said. So work on that. So this is a mind trap. So from here, how you move that? So you move mm -hmm. that by doing some exercise that they are in the book and things like that. And you reshape. So you can imagine this is where the neuroscience is coming because the plasticity of our brain is absolutely wonderful because we can mm -hmm. replace. What about building your mind with your thoughts, with who you are, what you believe and how you want to be remember as a leader? We understood that it's coming from teachers and education. So, okay, we try to challenge it. Is it true? Is it relevant? Do we need it? Can we let go? So it takes time. It looks fast and it seems easy. It's not that easy. And so, okay, but now how can we do that? What can we build now? So we can build exactly what you want based on how you want to be remember your why, what is important and understanding that you're here a stage from management, you don't manage anymore. Now you're a leader, it's not the same. So it's not about doing all the time. It's about coaching, inspiring, being here for your team. And it's completely different. And so we built that and we built, okay, what is important? What is your why? What is your purpose? How we can, you know, be linked with the purpose of your company and how you can communicate that to your team. And this is what we did in this case. And so we uh, organized some meetings with what I call on meeting with this team to try to connect on this emotional level and try to uh, communicate what is important for him. So if we begin at the beginning, we know the world is transitioning. We know that we have to change. Most of the leaders knows that they have to change, but they don't know where to begin. They don't know what to do. They were used, they were told to be here, fix everything, having all the answers and never show any emotions. It was until now the way to go. And most of them were successful to do that. And the world changed. So we had COVID, we had a succession of crisis, economic, social crisis. We have a world of uncertainty. We don't know where we're going. So the only thing we know is we have to find a way and to change where we lead. Our organization, they need, absolutely need a guide. 
And I like to say that the leader is, you know, the captain of the boat. So you're in a boat, there is a captain, and there is a crew. The crew is members of the organization. And the role of the captain is show the two nurse the direction. Long-term direction is better because short-term, we all know that, okay, we have to be agile, right? Because you don't know what you don't know. So you don't know that a new war is coming. You don't know that a pandemic can come. You don't know what you don't know. So you have to be really agile. And it's all together with this crew and he has to take care of this crew. And to know, to know you, Molly, to know Robert, to know everyone, maybe you cannot, but I mean, at least your direct report and connect with them and explain them. This is a direction we want to go because this is your role is, you know, to give the direction. And this is all together that we are going to go there because I cannot do by myself. And really this is this new role and you will going to face storms. So the waves are going to be very big or very quiet, whatever it is, you have to adapt and it's all together. So really it's this moving transition of leadership and how you do that and how you change. So the concept of alignment and unlocking yourself is ready to free yourself from what's holding you back to be who you are and the leader you really can be. Because if you are successful, so as my coach, my CEOs was told one day, you know, he was very successful doing what he was doing, but he would never become, you know, the person he should be because he was not himself and he didn't know how to connect with others. So really it's this work and the book is about that. It's really about, you know, this journey because by the fact that you want to do something and where to begin. And it's really that. And if we take an example of a client to do that was, okay, let's say that the trigger was during the pandemic. He knew that he had to change before because we were working before the pandemic already together and he asked me for that. And so it was in his journey. But when the pandemic arrived, it was obvious. So he told me, what can I do? Can you help me? Because what can I do? His team suffering, of course, and it was hard for him. Everybody was on Zoom at that time. We organized, we tried to organize, he organized some what I called non-meetings. So means moment just to connect. And you know, the thing was letting him imagine that he can do it. Imagine that, okay, we are all here around the table and you ask people okay, how they feel and how we can help. This is the only thing. And so he was afraid because he told me, oh, oh, but if someone is telling me that he lost someone or whatever, what can I do? Mm-hmm. And you know, the answer, I don't know if it was the right answer, but the answer for me was easy. I asked him, okay, if your best friend is in pain, what are you going to say or to do? Because he wanted to fix. And I tried to explain him and he told me, um, I cannot do a lot. I would just be here. It's exactly that. Nobody asks you to fix. Nobody can fix another person anyway. And it's not a question of fix. It's a question of being here. Full presence, just the fact, be listened, to be heard is something very important. I love this concept of non-meetings that you're alluding to, because I think that's such a great way of looking at how to improve connection with our team. I think that's really, really good. I can't help but think as well how wonderful it would be bouncing on what you're saying 
to start every single meeting with having everyone name one or two emotions that they're going through without necessarily having to divulge the specifics. But it would no doubt catalyze the richness of the conversation that much more. You go to another level. You know, we all know that when you go somewhere and you go for dinner, for example, what are you doing? You're here, you say hello, you say hi, you try to present yourself, you communicate, you try to understand what the person is doing and things like that. Same with the leader. If you just arrive in your meeting and just open the door and say, oh, okay, what is the agenda today? What we do? Okay, blah, 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 blah. Okay, let's do that, 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 bye, bye. Yeah. You know, nobody's going to connect. Nobody's going to be receptive to that and, 100%. Yeah. And in fact, the emotion, the empathy, it's really the way to connect with people is the way we connect with people. It's really through emotions. So we were talking about the neuroscience. Neuroscience shows us that very well. It's the part of our brain who, and the neuroplasticity means that we can change because we have a brain. Our brain is amazing. I think there are more than 10 billions of uh, neurons and those neurons are connecting every one second through 10,000 others neurons. So can you imagine how many oh. connections we make? Yeah. And he's so smart. He's so smart that, you know, he puts the things where he has to and that's all. But, you know, emotion are, again, the way we connect with people. Empathy, you know, the etymology of empathy is being, feeling with. In fact, you know, the translation is from the German is more about empathy, being in you feel the person and this mm. is how you can connect if you don't feel what i feel you can connect with me you can tell me things it's going to come here somewhere in one year and the other poof and i'm going to forget completely if i can connect to your heart because i can understand how you feel now whatever it is completely different what you're saying it's so important to remind ourselves and breathe more humanity to your points within the workplace through truly taking time to vest interest and care in what other people and what our teams are going through. I believe to your points, the same that emotions are really the gateway to each other's humanness in so many ways. And I think especially again, as we're emerging out of this pandemic, that we need to also exercise caution within the realm of leadership because leaders are not mental health superstars. I think it was the World Health Organization that just came out with the fact that a billion people globally suffer with some mental health issue. And so we're what, 8 billion people on earth. So that's one in eight, at least one leader, you know, knows someone going through a mental health issue or is going through a mental health issue themselves. And so there is such a need for that greater connectivity that you're discussing to genuinely taking that time to care for ourselves and care for the humanity that we employ. I love what you're saying, but I think bouncing on that, what would you say are the four limitations, if you will, that leaders are going through today, especially the revived workplace of today, where we know that the wellness of our people equates to the wellness of our companies? 
So I think I see three things. I think the fear to connect, the fear of being human. Okay. This sounds ridiculous, but this is it. Yeah. The fear of uh, connecting with your emotions. We talk about it. The fear of chaos, because as my example just before, oh, oh, but what's going to happen? You know, if everybody is talking about his emotion and things like that, it's going to be a, not anymore a, a workplace, but more a Yukoaya things. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I don't know what to do with that. And maybe it's important, the fear of failing. Because again, have the playbook, as you said, we don't know. It's completely different. Yeah, they're all so valid. And I think each could be impacted in a book at a time at this stage. You speak on how to be a human leader and notably how to listen to our teams. So you've spoken about empathy, you've spoken about communication, you've spoken about curiosity, you've spoken about vulnerability as well. There's also a big one, which is the power of non-assumption that I'd love to hear your thoughts on as well. But what would you say would be in your mind the top three ways of being a human leader today that aren't so obvious for everybody? I would say, okay, begin with yourself, connect with your emotion, connect with yourself, take the time to stop, as we said at the beginning, to think about it, and really take the time to think about what kind of leader you want to be, how you want to be remembered, what is important for you. I like to give a little exercise, which sounds a little bit bizarre, and it's not very fun, but it works very well. It's to think about your biology. The day we are not anymore in the picture, what do you want people to say about you? What do you want people to tell, to remember? And you see, you know, everyone, because you are not only a leader in your company, you are also maybe a parent, you are a son or a daughter, you are whatever. So we are a whole person. And in doing this exercise, you realize what is important for you, that, oh, oh, I'm not sure it's increasing the price of the Wall Street, uh, whatever it is. Yeah. But people are going to remind you because you connected with them, because you were there to help them, or just to listen, but you were there. Because you saw people, because you made people important, for whatever it is, it's very personal for each person. And really, this exercise and try to write a sentence, very simple, just to explain that it's your purpose, it's your why. It's your driver, it's your true north, it's going to guide you. So everything begins with you, with your emotion, with who you are, who you want to be, how you want to show up, how you want to be remembered. Yeah, it really makes you look at your authenticity at the core. I love that example. And I was given one not so long ago of maybe not doing an exercise that has a finality in mind with one's death, but more 20 years down the line. So I'm 40, soon to be 43. You know, where would I see myself when I'm 63? And write a letter with my 63-year-old self mm -hmm. going back on those last 20 years of life and retracing that which I did that was meaningful and that brought purpose to the world and that was centered in my alignment of who I am truthfully and authentically. And I thought that was a beautiful example too, because I think it's still difficult for people to 
show up, not just in the workplace, but in life with their real selves. It's almost as if people forget that it's a school of life for everybody. It's very odd, but it's the truth. And it's kind of, we have our masks of, as I like to say, of unvulnerability on constantly. And it drains us with more energy than we think it does. Yeah, you know, just to continue what you say, and this is how burnout come because you're not yourself. So you're not yourself, you're not connected with yourself. So you lost your meaning, your why. So you're running, you're running, like we said before, but you don't remember why. So it's exactly like in the movie, Forrest Gump, run, run, run. You don't know where and exhaustion yeah. comes because when you run all of the time and you don't know why, gosh, This is how you get sick. A hundred percent. So bouncing on this in your mind, what do you think makes up a good leader today in this post-pandemic world? I know it might be a reiteration of everything we've spoken about once again, but I think it's good to have these sound bites so that people can just clearly frame it in their minds. I would say that, you know, what is important is being yourself. I'm a big believer of each person has a special talent. So be yourself, stop doing, stop showing, just be and do the work on yourself. Like we said, you know, frame your, your why, what is important, how you want to be remembered, communicate correctly and communicate with your teams, communicate what is important for you. I mean, and learn to listen, learn to see what your team needs learn to connect with people. So this is very simple, it's very simple things, but sometimes it's difficult because we don't have time because of course we still have to have results. So it's not or, it's and. So it's both of them. So we still need, you know, the left brain, so you know, logical and everything. And when you have to, to take a decision, if you are the one who takes the decision, so you have to take the decisions. But also you add this ability to understand, to connect with people, emotion, and don't be afraid of those emotions. Make peace with those emotions, and that's the best. Gosh, you're speaking my language. What does the future of work look like to you in two words? <laughs> If I knew, you know, I think uh, it's exciting. I think we are just building everything and trying to uh, figure out what tomorrow is going to be. So we all try. So. Hybrid, not hybrid. We understand also that we need connections. So completely hybrid, I don't think it's going to happen. But with the new generation and, you know, our young, everything is new. Everything is completely different. When I see, you know, the young people at 27, 26, they're working a lot. They're working a lot, but differently. They are never at the same place and do a lot of things. And they don't like to be, you know, in a box. And they don't want to sit at the same place. They need air, like they say. <laughs> and that's all, but it gives another energy. And we have to be agile with that and to see what we can do with that. And it's all about being human and understand and try to understand. So, of course, you have some rules and results. And again, it's not or, it's and. Mm. Include everyone. Include all generations. Listen. Ask them. Very often. You try to find an answer, but you don't ask. It's simple. Ask them what they would like and see how you, okay, if you are not, you don't agree with that, maybe find a balance. But I think it's exciting. 
It's a recreation of the workplace and it's not anymore where and or how you're going to work, but why we work. So we go back to what we said. But what should I work for you, by the way? So would it be fair to say that from all that you've said, that the two words would be connection and curiosity? Yes, connection for sure. Respect, curiosity, agility. Sorry, I have more than two. (laughs) Uh, Empathy, and it's really, you know, going away from your mind trap, change the way you see the world and you're walking and build today and tomorrow together. But first with yourself and with, you know, your environment, whatever is your environment. What are your thoughts, Hortense, on the importance of emotional inclusion in the workplace today? Because we, as you know, advocate that not just with the community here on this podcast, but also with companies to not shy away from what that means. And you've alluded to several times during the podcast of not being afraid of our emotions and tackling them head on within the workplace. So could you speak a little bit more about that? As we said, you know, the world is suffering. Everyone is suffering. The world, the planet, people. And because we have to adapt to this transition and it's hard. So I think emotion uh, inclusion is important in a workplace because, again, as we said, it has to be heard and you have to build something for your team. So most of my clients now have accessibility for the workplace, for uh, the team to any psychology or coaching or whatever it is. But I think it's very important to set the tone as a leader, as we said, set the tone and begin this journey and invite everyone to do it and invite everyone to show up and invite everyone to talk. And this is okay to talk. And maybe in a company, having this special, you know, space, whatever the space is, create this environment where you can talk is very, 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 very important. And as a leader, again, you're setting the tone. So if as a leader, you can say, oh, also, I also, it was difficult for me. I had this moment difficult and, you know, this is what I did. And this is what I learned from that. And this is what it feels today. It helped. And after it's all about the boundaries, because you share what, as a leader, what can be helpful for others, not everything, every emotions, you know, that you had. So this is what I explain also in the book with those boundaries and how you do it. So I think this is not anymore you should have in the company, in your company. This is, you have to, I think we have to adapt and we have to face the reality. And again, the reality, the world is suffering every day, everywhere. So we are suffering because we are all connected. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that we need to create emotional inclusive cultures for them to be sustainable. And I think that that's what's been missing. And I like what you're saying, adding on that showcasing our humanness, Our emotional realms, if you will, doesn't mean being on full display, talking about and verbalizing every single emotion, the plethora of emotions that we can go through or that we do go through daily. But it's it's about showing up as our true authentic selves and saying it's okay to be human. It's safe to be human. 
And I think up until now, there's been such a lack of just that, right, safety. So I like to end the podcast with a very, very quick Q&A. And it's just for our audience at Emotional Inclusion to get to know you better and know Hortense Le Gentil behind all the wonderful work that she does a little bit more. So it's a very quick one. And (laughs) I'll just fire away. Okay. Okay. Let's try. (laughs) Okay. What is your most prized quality in an individual? I think my agility. What makes you emotionally balanced? Meditation and spirituality. What is the top quality of an emotionally inclusive leader for you? To be humble. To be humble. What is your biggest fear? I think it's losing my husband. What is your number one reason to wake up every day? To try to discover new people and try to help more people. What is your wish for the world of mental health? That's the last one. I wish leaders and companies can more and more and more to help the world to be better, a better place for the team, for the people who are working and stop fighting one another. Just make peace. Just be in that peace and try to listen to each other. Thank you so much, Hortense, for coming on the podcast. It's been such a pleasure, such a pleasure speaking with you. And I can't wait to launch this episode and share it with our community. So thank you once again. Thank you. Thank you, Molly. It was such a pleasure. I'm so happy. So thank you for the opportunity and thank you for having me tonight. Thank you. Thanks for listening to my conversation today. We trust you enjoyed it. And if you have a chance, please rate and review, hit subscribe to receive new episodes and pass it along to a friend. And if you wish to know more on the Emotional Inclusion Program we offer to companies, please visit emotionalinclusion.com. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you'll come back for more. And in the meantime, be bold and be brave.